I was dealing with depression from a really early on before I can even really remember. And then at 12, I just started drinking. That's the first time that I got intoxicated at 12. And so um, I share that wow. because that those adolescent years, even into my young adulthood, were a lot of it was a big struggle for me. It was a lot around depression and, and um, substance use. And then when I went back to school, my life, graduate school, my life kind of like you know, sort of separated. And one of those um, pathways was professional development and success and the sort of strengths-based kind of perspective where I was, um, you know, accomplishing things and engaged in a way. But then I also had this other part of me that was still sort of like um, unwell. Welcome to Authentic Conversations. I'm your host, Ryan James Miller, and I believe the way to freedom, fulfillment, and success ultimately comes by living as the most authentic version of yourself. If you're ready to live the life you've dreamed of, you're in the right place. All right, what is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Authentic Conversations. I have with me today a gentleman by the name of Donald Bialkowski. Uh, he is a psychotherapist and coach. Uh, if you're watching, he just waved at you. If not, then his <laughs> wave was for nothing because you didn't hear it happen. Um, Donald and I connected online. We had an opportunity to have a brief conversation before this. We saved all the meaty stuff. Uh, for this conversation, but uh, what really struck me uh, as you guys have been familiar uh, over the course of uh, this specific season is we are trying to do our best just to dig into people's stories, to hear their experience with the struggles and challenges that they have had and ways in which those things have helped them to become better as a human being uh, in the roles that they have been called to really, again, to experience that greatness that I believe we've been created for. So when Donald and I talked, one of the things that he shared, which is what we'll dig into here in just a minute, was he said that over the course of 2020, which that alone scarred and wounded many people, um, but over the course of that year, he said at one point he was broke into a million pieces. And that just really struck me because I think that not only can I relate to that from different seasons of life, but I know so many of you can too. So for the minute, I will just say, Donald, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, I appreciate it, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Okay. So um, just to get this out of the way, because I think that like it will scare a lot of people. Uh, so what is a psychotherapist? <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Well, a, a therapist. Yeah. It's kind of a fancy way of saying, uh, it's a fancy way of saying a therapist, um, but a counselor. So my background is, uh, I'm actually a clinical social worker uh, and there's lots of tracks okay. to social work, but one of those tracks is mental health. So after I, um, got a degree, then you go on to accumulate clinical hours and you take an exam and you become uh, a psychotherapist. So, um, that's what I've been doing. All right. Yeah. Uh, and so then at some point you made this transition into coaching and I'm sure you still, do you still practice uh, on the medical side? So I've, uh, I left healthcare, um, which is another whole story. We could okay. do a whole po podcast on that, but I, um, no, I left healthcare sure. to get into a more, um, sort of strengths-based coaching, you know, focus kind of style of therapy. Um, what I do. So what I do is a little bit, 
it just depends on the needs of, of the guys that I'm working with. So sometimes it looks a little bit more like therapy. Sometimes it looks a little bit more like coaching, but um, I'm on my own. Um, there's just such a need. And with it, mental health kind of went mm-hmm. virtual and, and sort of is not going back. And so it just gives me that kind of flexibility to be able to connect with clients all over the all over the planet. It's kind of cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I just, the need is so there. So when, when did that transition happen when you started to practice more coaching than you were the therapy? Mm. Well, it really, you know, it's kind of been my orientation all along. Um, I, my perspective on our medical system is great. Um, but our medical system is really kind of built on like a disease model. Um, and that's just, it has historical mm-hmm. roots. It's really useful. You know, when people were dying of tuberculosis, that was a problem and we developed medications and we fixed the problem. Uh, and that was really useful for many, many years. However, a lot of the problems that we deal with in healthcare right now are not really fixable. Their lifestyle, like 80% of the issues that our healthcare system pays for are behavior, lifestyle issues. So diabetes, you know, chronic yeah. disease, things like that. So there's no pills anymore. Uh, and that really necessitates that our healthcare yep. system sort of matures to understand that. Um, and coaching is in line with that. It's really strength based. It's really about motivation. It's really about finding what drives somebody internally, uh, to live the life that they want. Cause if they're doing that, they're less likely to have disease. So it's a little bit more of an indirect, uh, sure. way of approaching health. Yep. So. No, absolutely. Okay. Um, and so, uh, as we talked about offline, I mean, obviously, 2020 was this just year of uh, transformation for you, but Mm. what was the season of life leading up to that? What did that look like for you personally, professionally? I think that will be helped to give some context before we just say, and it all broke into a million pieces. Yeah. Well, if I could, I might, I might just go all the way back to the beginning. I won't, uh, I'll do sort of the cliff notes version of that, but um, I think it's, like in the beginning, God created the <laughs> Maybe not that quite far. <laughs> not back. that far. How about 1979? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 1979. So, so I was, um, raised, um, uh, in the Midwest culture. Uh, I'm originally from Green Bay, Wisconsin, but I, um, was raised in a, a primarily a single family home. My mother, uh, suffered from depression, which is a historical, um, disease within my family. Um, and, um, also just the context in the Midwest, there's a lot of drinking that goes on. I don't know if you've been to the Midwest, but it's kind of a booze so culture. And that was certainly, uh, my experience. So I was dealing with depression from a really early on before I can even really remember. And then at 12, I just started drinking. That's the first time that I got intoxicated at 12. And so, um, I share that wow. because that those adolescent years, even into my young adulthood were a lot of, it was a big struggle for me. It was a lot around depression and, and, um, substance use. And then when I went back to school, my life graduate school, my life kind of like you know, sort of separated. And one of those um, pathways was professional development and success and the sort of strengths-based kind of perspective where I was, um, you know, accomplishing things and engaged in a way. But then I also had this other part of me that was still sort of like um, unwell. And and it turns out it was, mm. you know, I was using alcohol as a way to kind of um, prevent that. So what happened was, is I developed this kind of like, 
sophisticated balance of substance use and like success or like the functional alcoholic sort of mm -hmm. idea. And so my life before 2020 was kind of numbed out, honestly, looking back on it. I mean, I was sort of delusional about it myself. I thought everything was good. I had a family and we were running, you know, kids were getting to where they needed to be and all of those things. Um, and, you know, a fish doesn't know that it's in water. So it felt like normal to me. That's it felt like I was getting along just quite fine. But with the shift of the pandemic and sort of a lot of those structures that kind of felt that was my falling apart, you know, and then I can kind of look back and see how, you know, a lot of the life, be, my life before that was kind of climbing a mountain and you know, it was really ego driven. It was really um, not heart center living. Mm hmm. OK, so uh, and I, I think that that would be a lot of people's story to some degree, at least in the sense that um, when I reflect back, I realized that there were some serious problems <laughs> and that that was being masked by external results uh, and or that was being masked by some so, some form of self-medication, mm -hmm. you know, could be substance abuse, could be, you know, performance driven, um, you know, some, some version of that. So as you reflected back, um, were, were, do you feel like you were absent the right environment to be in too? Like, did you, did you have friends around you? And if so, how were they influencing and or not influencing what you were doing or how you were living? Mm. Well, I, I would say I want to just sort of like normalize my experience and everybody's experience. I think your comment is is accurate. I think it's right on. Like to some degree, that's just like growing up. Like that's just part of like growing yeah. up. You know, you're not you're this conscious and then you learn something new and then you become, you know, like more conscious. And and so there's some normalcy around that. Um, my experience uh, and many other experiences. So if you're avoiding yourself in your life right now, it's normal. <laughs> you know, that's uh, okay. But yeah. um, part of becoming more. Yeah. And so my life, I had friends. Um, I had supports in place. I think from the outside, people would, you know, and I've heard this, people were like, wow, I thought you were doing really well. You know, like it came as a big surprise because it was so well hidden in, you know, my my life, you know, I was being successful at work mm -hmm. and I had these degrees and a family and kids. And so like from the outside, it very much looked like put together. Um, and so the issue was really an internal one. Um, it was really that I was like, you know, n hiding from myself. I didn't have the proper supports within myself and part of that falling apart, you know, opens you up to sort of see all the parts of you. And part of that um, insight that I developed in that was like that part that wasn't I wasn't aware of was arrested really young at a young age. And I think a lot of that has to do, mm. I mean, that's specific to my situation in my family of origin, but I think you can make the case for a more general um, statement about men in this culture, um, sort of, and research backs this up, but some are like four or five years old, men are already socialized into really small emotional vocabularies. It's not like we don't have a full range, the full human range of emotions. It's just like we're conditioned into not allowing to really express them. And so that in hindsight, that's a huge barrier. You know, I'm, I wasn't able to really like fully be honest with myself because I was getting this external message that I couldn't be 
depressed, certainly, you know, mental health stigma. Mm -hmm. I couldn't be weak. I couldn't be all these things. So, you know, you just suppress it. You just try to manage it as best you can. And eventually it comes out sideways. That was the case for me. So, so let me ask you your opinion on this now that you've had time to reflect on it. Um, so I, I totally get that. Um, that's a lot of my same story mm. in the sense that I didn't know what I didn't know, uh, which, again, just environmentally, mm-hmm. culturally and relationally created this space for me to be something that I, that I shouldn't have been. But at the same time, there was also some pretty significant moments uh, in which I think that I was probably using that as an excuse. Mm. And then now definitely um, in in times that we're trying to make it a little bit more, I'll call it cool uh, for dudes to talk about emotions and shame and embarrassment and sadness. Um, I think that sometimes men specifically, but I think women can do this too. Like they use that as an excuse to continue to get away with the things that they're getting away with. Like, oh, it's just, it's not cool for guys to talk about this type of stuff. So I'm just not going to talk about it. So how do you feel about that? I mean, do you feel like that's a reality? Like it's just, no, it's just all kind of imposed upon us by upbringing and culture. Or do you feel like there are, experiences either that you've had or that you've seen others had in which they're kind of taking advantage what has become the cultural norm? Mm. Well, I, you know, I don't think that, sure, people might take advantage of that. But I think in my experience working with other men and like sort of getting on the inside and having these really honest conversations, I think it's more, an you know, just unawareness, you know, that we are so mm. used to sort of hiding from because we haven't been given the skills and we haven't developed the capacity to be with difficult emotions. A lot of my work is just around like emotional Mm -hmm. integrity. And so like, you know, as men, we're kind of like second graders trying to do long, you know, long division or kindergartners trying to do long division, you know, it's sort of, so we don't really know, you know, it's like, um, so I think people do it because they just, that's what they know. I don't think they are even that aware Mm -hmm. that they're actually trying, what they're doing is a way to kind of like uh, prevent them from having to sort of take an honest look at themselves because that's a lot scarier than even doing, even if you know you do something that's not good, like lying or like, um, you know, drinking or some other behavior, you know, it's not good, but your emotions are more powerful and it's easier to do that than to face yourself. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, so this all comes to a head for you, Mm. Um, this kind of season of life or really just your entire life up to that point. Mm -hmm. And so what was it? Was there a a central moment or was it a series of things that finally cracked you? Mm. Yeah, you know, so for me, it was it was that it was my depression that finally needed attention. And, you know, I had been running Mm. from it for 40 years, really. And I thought I had taken care of it. I thought it was um, all tucked away and gone. But really, I had just been able to kind of keep it at bay. And there was something about and I don't know, you know, something about the pandemic or that, of course, I, I deal with a lot of guys that, you know, just they reach this point. I actually think I think it's actually a healthy part of our life cycle that we sort of 
um, I'll use this analogy here, here in the, in the Northern states where we get like winters, you know, our lakes will, they kind of stratify based on temperature, the cold waters on the bottom and then the warm and in the winter when, and so that's how our lives kind of do it. You know, as we're growing up, we're 20, we choose a career and 30 and this and a family and we kind of stratify. And then when it gets cold enough in the winter, the the lakes turn over and the nutrients on the bottom flip over and the oxygen and so there's this whole big turning over and i think there's some analogy there with our lives you know you kind of get into this Hmm. groove and you stratify and then there becomes a point that where you we turn over for a lot of guys it's like a divorce maybe loss of a loved one um you know marital issues can sort of push people to the breaking point for me it was this breaking open and this depression and having to sort of walk through that. Um, I mean, that was my experience, but. Depression finally comes to a head for you. Mm-hmm. And what, what were some of the practical steps that you started to take? Because I mean, you're a psychotherapist, yeah, <laughs> you're yeah, a coach. Yeah. Uh, and so on one hand, and I, I've been there, man, like, yeah. um, you know, sharing my own, uh, very different, but you know, in some ways similar, you know, journey of just mental health and life is a roller coaster. And, you know, every time that I say like, oh man, I'm struggling with this, people are like, oh my gosh, are you okay? And I'm like, yo, this is just like life. Just people don't normally share yeah. it. So I'm not saying like you should have known better, but at the same time, you know, this, this is kind of your profession and your career. So what were some of the steps that you began to take once you recognized that enough is enough, I am broken, I need to start putting myself back together? Yeah. Well, it's a great question. So this, yeah, my experience maybe would have been a better answer to your earlier question of like, are people actively avoiding? So for me, uh, the mind is a really incredible thing. And so like I had chosen my career of mental health and mental and became a psychotherapist. How it how it worked out for me was that actually gave me armor. It allowed me to keep the mask up, you know, so it wasn't a very conscious Mm. thing, but it was like. Yeah. And so that actually prevented me. It's like, no, I got this. Like I knew everything. I was meditating, uh, you know, cycling all the time, you know, doing triathlon. So like I was doing everything that, you know, a textbook would tell you to do, but I was doing it in the service of hiding from myself. And so Mm. once that no longer was, was, was possible, I mean, I I would say that there was, um, you know, Surrender is the first word that comes to mind um, as you, you know, just sort of surrendering my depression and the grief that was sort of involved in that process and forgiveness processes. Um, I would say grieving was was probably the, the, the biggest piece was just sort of like letting go of everything. This basically a facade that I had built, you know, and, and then that my life wasn't working out the way that I had sort of built up in my mind. I mean, for me. One of the biggest things was I found I was finding a mentor. I was finding communities and I was able to to land, you know, in in the hands of another of another man who had sort of walked a similar path to me. And like that was huge. I had another childhood friend um, a number of friends, too, that just showed up for me. Um, and learning to ask for help, that was like probably the most powerful um, driver mm-hmm of, of, um, sort of getting through that process, but also the most difficult. Hmm. Yeah. I, 
I love what you said there when you talked about surrender, mm-hmm. because um, again, as men, we we want to be strong, we want to be courageous, we want to be valiant in all of our efforts. You talked about cycling, which means that you had a great level of physical endurance built up in yourself. It's like, I can do this. Mm. And the reality is, at some point, we need to all come to this realization that we cannot do this, Mm -hmm. that there is a reason why we are created into community. There is a reason why, you know, we read of the wisdom of many advisors bringing such great benefit to us. It's... I will break. Mm. Eventually, we are all going to break. Mm. And so I love the fact that you said, as a professional, with years of experience and wisdom and insight and all the tools available to you, you still said, I give up. Mm. Like, I, I, don't, I don't give up life, mm. which thank God you didn't say that. But like, I give up this false idea that I can do all things on my own and that there were people there to relieve you of that. And so emotionally, as you began stepping through that, what were some of those emotions that you started to experience maybe for the first time? Mm, Fear, (laughs) Uh, fear. And, and I mean, sort of a whole Mm. constellation of emotions. So I had been hiding from a whole constellation of emotions like depression, sadness, anger was a big one for me. I didn't see anger much in the, in my household. And so I, yeah, I kind of had all this rage and all this like anger and I didn't really know what to do with it. I was frankly kind of afraid of it. Um, but and also in that that particular constellation were other things like resentments and bitterness and unforgiveness and things that I didn't really even know were there, but they were sort of fueling that anger. So it was a bit of a journey. And I did this with um, mentors. I did this with other people. And this is the idea, you, like you're too close to yourself to to you to do it on your own you know because your mind is really good at avoiding unpleasantness and so it'll just tell you some story or blame or have a different thought and so that's how you know i was able to do it for 40 years i was able to like isolate and not actually have a real honest relationship and so i started using these relationships and committing to um you know showing up honestly and that's really like was a process. It's a process. Even that like, um, surrender you mentioned, you know, you can like say, I'm going to surrender, but that's an everyday thing, you know, like, because it takes, Mm. I was, wow, I've been wound up for this way for 40 years. Like it, I'm doing this work every day for the last three years. And I had to move a chair the other day and I have like a strained muscle. And like, I, I was, I noticed I refused to ask my wife to help me move it. It's like still like, it's just like, (laughs) you know, I got it. You know, it's like baked into me. So Anyways, but, um, yeah, I would say anger was a big, was a big thing because underneath that anger was other feelings of shame was another big thing for me. Um, Mm. feelings of inferiority, um, and shame, uh, and so vulnerability, I would say that there's one, you know, we do talk about courage a lot, but the truth is, is you, you can have, you can 
have vulnerability without courage, but you can't have courage without vulnerability. Vulnerability being defined as mm. anything that's like uncertain, right? And life is uncertain. So life is actually a fragile, vulnerable experience in every moment. We're deluded thinking it's not, which is okay. It's advantageous. But the reality is, is we're in a very fragile situation. And if we can connect with that fragility and that vulnerability, then we can move forward with courage. That's real courage, not this sort of amplified version that we see a lot of this sort of bravado or uh, mm. false courage. That's so good, man. That is so good. And so you're, you're going through this journey, which is obviously very personally impactful to you. It's transformational, but you're not the only one that goes through this. Mm. So you, you said you're married. Mm. And so how, how was that experience? I mean, your wife, was it relief? Was it surprise? Was it a little bit of everything? Like what was her experience as she was observing you going through all this fear? I mean, there had to be so much. Yeah, I think I think hers was kind of a roller coaster as well. You know, I think about marriages as like a dance. And, um, you know, when one partner changes, so does the other as well. You know, it just has that sort mm. of like impact. And we also have, a, we're, we're also, we would fall into the co more of the codependent sort of couple if we were uh, in a, you know, so, yeah, so those feelings were really alive um, here in this household and felt, you know, um, by our, we have two children as well, 14 and 11 year old as well. So mm -hmm. one of the great things that came out of it was just that and this real honesty about emotions. We have a sign uh, in our house that said, all emotions are welcome, you know, and just like that sort of mm -hmm. creating a space checking in, just having more conversations around what our emotional experience is, not what we think, um, or, um, you know, ideas, but really what is our experience and, and practicing that and learning to really speak from, um, our, our heart spaces, what's up for us. So we've been practicing. Okay. So <laughs> it's getting, it's getting, I better. have a more, I have a more detailed question sure. about that. So just to go a level deeper there, because I think that's really awesome. Uh, I've heard so much in business uh, where, you know, they say all ideas are welcome. Mm. We reward people for every idea, good or bad. Um, and I think Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, she's talked about that before in her TED Talk, which I really love. Um, you don't hear that as much in the household. And on one hand, I think for some households, um, expressing all emotions is just the unsaid rule, like just let it fly because it's a safe space. For other households, maybe even this is more of the majority. It's like we would say all emotions are, are, are okay, but there's certain ones we don't want to deal with because that's awkward or uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so for you as a husband and a parent, a dad to two, uh, to two kids leading your family, how do you like, how does that work out practically? Does just everything fly all the time? Do you create space for that with intentionality? Like what, what does that mean to allow emotions to just be expressed as they come? Mm, well, it means to do my work. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's an evolution. It's a maturation, you know, it's, um, mm. this household was one that didn't allow like a certain group of emotions. So there's like conflict, for example, like there was really no conflict. It was mm. just avoided. 
Um, and so like anger, frustration, all of that was kind of like swept under the rug. So we were that family. I was like, all emotions are welcome, but not really, you know, because we weren't being honest about it with ourselves. So like for me, and you also, I think you use the word lead in there, but I, for me, it's about leadership for me as a man to be a strong, big hearted man is like that that's my work and it all begins with me. And it's like a pebble in the pond. If you throw that in there, it's going to ripple out. We are teach our kids don't behave based on what we tell them. They behave based on what we show them, like how we model, you know? And yeah. so for me, it, the process really began with like taking ownership, which for me is about being willing to, um, you know, accept that I'm the cause, you know, so taking ownership for that mm-hmm. and then starting to work with some of those emotions. I got in with a therapist. Um, I got into some men's group. I sat in some circles. I like took vulnerability straight on. I began addressing these issues that I had. Um, and then, you know, as I, you know, it's like any skill, you know, you get better at that. And then I'm able to sort of be angry and express that in a respectful, safe way where before I wasn't Mm. doing it at all. And so, so how it looks here is it's honest, um, but it's done with respect and safety, you know? So we talk a lot about that as well as just making sure that we have a container um, and, Mm. you know, timeouts, you know, like setting it down, coming back to it. So, you know, those kinds of things. I think that's so wonderful, man. Um, I mean, I think that there's just so many, so many wonderful lessons that can be taken even from that as a parent and as a husband or just in general as a spouse, but more specifically as a husband. I love the fact that you basically said, like, you have the freedom to be you inside this house to express anything and everything, but you don't have free reign. Mm. We're going to create guardrails, expectations, which is so wonderful. And it's something that can be so easily overlooked. I know um, I was a pastor for eight years and I still do a decent amount of marriage counseling. And, you know, it's one of the things that I talk with new couples about, which is look at like, we just assume that now we've been dating for a while and we just kind of get each other. And yes, marriage is going to change us to some degree, but we'll figure it out. And I say, no, 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 no. Like you need to create expectations now for how you want to communicate, how you expect to be communicated to, um, how you're going to spend money, how you see money, how often you're going to have sex, what sex looks like to you. Like all of these things, but we just too often, again, I think it goes back to what you said earlier. We, we weren't conditioned, we weren't taught, we weren't led to set our lives up in that way because of the upbringings we had. And so then we just go into life assuming that things are just going to be the way they are. When you don't see anger and doubt and conflict dealt with in your house, mm-hmm. when you're growing up, mm-hmm. then you just think either it doesn't exist or everyone just holds it all in. And so it's amazing uh, so the, all the ways in which it sounds like you've just grown so significantly. So as... We're, we're kind of landing this plane. Um, I guess my first question to you is, um, as hard as it was to go through that 2020 season, mm-hmm. I can only imagine just how ravaging it was in so many ways. Can you say that you're grateful for that season of life? <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, it's... it's um, 
it's the, it's the cracks that let the light in, you know, it's like, that's just part of growing. Mm. It's part of growing up. I had this, I remember when I was like going through some earlier parts of this process and, and grieving, I, I had the image of like a snake molting, you know, and sort of like as a snake grows mm. and gets bigger, it sheds, you know, and that's for me what grief really felt like. And it was, pa- it's painful, it, you know, but you sort of grow bigger and you, and, you know, as you develop that skill and this capacity to be with those difficult emotions, it opens you up to be more compassionate. You know, you have more ability to sort of empathize with other people, to be um, uh, connected with them, even through suffering. And that's really where love is, you know, underneath grief is joy. Um, and, but it's mm-hmm. a painful, it's a painful place to get to. But once you get to it, you don't have to go back. You sort of grow bigger than that. And so absolutely worth it. hundred percent worth it. The, the payout is freedom. Okay. Mm, that's good. That's so good. Okay. And my final question is, um, there's probably more than one, but, uh, there's one person listening to this right now. That is you previous to 2020. Mm. Uh, they are, uh, Either either willfully or unwillfully ignorant to what's going on. They definitely feel as though there's something off uh, in their life, in a relationship, in their job. Um, they they're unsettled, but they're just not a hundred percent sure as to what it is or what to do. And so what would your advice be to that person as they sit there and think like, gosh, this kind of sounds familiar, but maybe I'm just not that, maybe I'm not there yet. Mm. Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I might pose the question for reflection of, you know, like, like what if it could, what if it could be better? Like, what if, it, what if it doesn't have to be that way? Like, what if there's a possibility that, yeah things could be, um, your life could have more joy in it. You could be happier. You Mm. could experience more contentment, you know, like, um, so having some honest reflection about that, um, and then it's a, give it a shot, you know, like, what do you have to lose? You know, like what, Ask for help. See what happens. Um, I I know I would balk at that, but that's what I would say. I mean, that's (laughs) that's the question that needs to be, you know, you can't do it alone. I I do firmly believe that Mm -hmm. you're too close to yourself. Um, And so where might you ask for help? That's so good. What I I really love about what you just said there. I think the in-between is hard for people Mm. because it's like, what do you have to lose? Mm. And what I have to lose is my idea of my self-worth, my idea of what people think of me. So maybe that's hard. But bookended, which I think you did so beautifully, was you started with there's always more joy to be had. And so you deserve you know, these are kind of like my words on top of yours, but it's like you deserve the opportunity to experience more joy because it's there for you. Mm-hmm. And then I think the other side of that, as you point people towards um, there's, you know, seek somebody out, 
I think that you, Donald, are a perfect example through your story of the fact that there are just other people like you out there. Mm -hmm. And I think that's often, more often than not, uh, though we hear of the mental health crisis, though we hear of depression and anxiety and suicide and so many things, that when we're experiencing those things for ourselves, and maybe more so as men than women, um, we come to this really, really poor belief that we're the only one. Mm. And so I value somebody like you that is willing to just be open and honest. And I'm sure that you're still, you're still nowhere near perfect today, but you are in a far better place because of what happened to Mm -hmm. you, because of the willingness that you had to get outside of yourself, your wife, is in a better place. Your children are in a better place, which means that you are all full of so much more joy. And so I think that the effect then really shows people that, gosh, like I don't have to do this alone. And if I'm willing to step into this environment, this arena with other men or women like me, I will, I will gain more from it. And so will those around me that I love so much. So I just think that that's so awesome, man. I just can't tell you how appreciative I am of your willingness to to open up like that because it's hard. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, again, like I, I get this, like you're a coach and you shouldn't experience these things is kind of how I feel, mm-hmm. right? Like I, when I share my struggles, one of the first things that comes to mind is who the hell wants to work with a coach that has issues with their own mental well-being at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is, is, because we've gone through it and are going through it, oftentimes we can help people to go through it themselves. Mm-hmm. So I just I have so much respect for you, man. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Well, thank you, Ryan. I appreciate the work that you're doing too. We're running parallel for sure. That's great. Thanks for getting the word out. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely, man. Well, guys, uh, that I, I think we could have got on talking about so many, uh, so many different even facets of what was shared, but you, uh, you, you get the concept so well through Donald's story. I would encourage you uh, to connect with him online. We'll make sure to put his contact information into the show notes. So click into that. Make sure you follow him. If you have any questions, thoughts, uh, want to learn more about what he's doing as a therapist and or a coach, make sure to connect with him on those things as well. Uh, if you have any feedback issues, ideas, you know where to find me. I'm more than willing to answer those questions. Share this with somebody else. These are the messages that need to get out there. It's less about me getting the podcast out and more about us sharing the message that there is hope for people that think that they are hopeless or that they are struggling through something and nobody's there for them. So I appreciate all you for listening, all your support. Continue to share this podcast, listen to upcoming episodes. We have so many great things coming for now. That is a wrap. Authentic Conversations, we are out. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Authentic Conversations. If you are ready to live the life you've dreamed of, I'm here to help. Head to ryanjamesmiller.com slash podcast to begin your journey. And if this episode impacted you in any way, pay it forward by sharing it with someone you know. I'm Ryan James Miller, and I'll see you next time on Authentic Conversations.